Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 20th, 2019. On today's episode, we're still at San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to talk about Star Trek and lots and lots of Marvel announcements. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Okay, so we have survived. We have survived Saturday at Comic-Con 2019. Uh, This is the big day. There's tons of Marvel announcements. But before we get to those, I know, Jacob, you you were very excited to attend a panel for Star Trek this morning. Uh, Yeah, it was an hour and a half long panel diving into the three Star Trek shows either on the air or in development. Uh, I'll breeze over the first two. The first one was a panel for Star Trek Discovery Season 3 which is coming back from CBS All Access. They didn't have much to say. The shows, you know if you like it or not by now. Uh, the second p- part was for um, Star Trek Lower Decks, which is a new animated comedy series uh, being run by one of the Rick and Morty uh, executive producers. And they didn't have any footage, but the concept of a in-canon Star Trek comedy series that treats the universe with respect, even though it's a comedy, uh, is very intriguing to me, so we'll keep an eye on that one. The big news was that they brought out the cast and crew of the new Star Trek Picard series and premiered the new trailer. And I was already emotional because Patrick Stewart's my space dad, and I have a great emotional attachment to Captain Picard as a character. So the trailer was already had me, and it's loaded full of fan service. You can watch on SlashFilm.com right now. Uh, it has references to so many different characters and locations and ideas from the from the series. I mean, there's even a... There's even the Captain Picard Day banner from the, from the Next Generation series hanging up in a shot, which is so specific. But the, but there's some big surprises yeah, there. Yeah, there are two big reveals. Uh, first, we see a scene between Captain Picard and Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine, the Borg character from Star Trek Voyager. And that first like lit the room on fire because uh, Seven of Nine is a very popular character. And Picard's history with the Borg suggests that those two can have a very contentious relationship. And an even more exciting moment... Uh, the final shot of the trailer features Picard playing a game of cards with what appears to be an alive Data, played by returning Brent Spiner. And 
the crazy thing here is that, of course, Brent Spiner's data died in Star Trek Nemesis. The question is, is this the data we know? Is he being rebuilt in some way? Uh, is, is Picard, you know, trying to uh, bring back his old friend? I, I don't know. But they brought out Jerry Ryan and Brent Spiner onto the stage. Didn't Brent say that he was never going to return to Star Trek? Oh, yeah. He said that, but so has so is, so is Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> they announced that Jonathan Frakes, who plays William Riker in Next Generation, will be back for a few episodes as a guest star, along with Marina Sirtis, who plays Deanna Troy. And interestingly, they also brought out um, Jonathan Duck. Oh, goodness, I'm, I'm, I don't have my notes in front of me, but the actor who played Hugh the Borg on The Next Generation. Uh, he was a recurring character who um, McCard and the Enterprise crew uh, rescue from Borg captivity, and he pops up a few times. And so we can safely say that Star Trek Picard will lean heavily uh, into Borg territory, and since they're the most popular Star Trek villain outside of Klingons, it makes sense. It is a great trailer. Patrick Stewart yeah. looks great. And it's also a good reason to bring him back to, you know, into action. Yes. Picard, uh, yeah. yeah. By the way, the actor's name is Jonathan Del Arco. Thank you, HD. Um, yeah, and what's really interesting is that whatever is going on, he's not rejoining Starfleet. Picard's never seen in a uniform here. It's him and a civilian crew going on some kind, of, some kind of quest to save a woman who's in trouble. It's the idea of Picard going into duty and on a quest because it's the right thing to do as opposed to it being his job. That sums up Picard, and I'm very excited to see where that takes him as a character. Yeah, I saw this trailer. I'm excited. I'm a big uh, Trek uh, The Next Generation fan. Um, HD, do you have any experience with this? I have no experience with Star Trek other than the uh, recent J.J. Abrams films, and I have to say, I was, I after sitting next to Jacob and a room full of Star Trek fans, I am. I really want to dive into the lore. Actually, Jacob and I were talking about this and doing a sort of trade-off of our <laughs> yeah. favorite shows. Uh, go ahead and uh, respond to Peter, to me, or to HT on Twitter, on email, however you want to do it. HT and I want to, are going to embark on a project where she watches Star Trek and I watch Doctor Who. Should it be a podcast? Should it be a written series? Let us know what's happening. Let us know how you want to experience it because it is happening. <laughs> uh, but what? Which Star Trek is the question? Uh, she'll start with the original series, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Original the, series. Yeah. Uh, next gen are like the two ones we're probably going to tackle yeah. if this happens or it, it, it's when happen. this happens. There's a lot of original series. <laughs> I know. There's only three, yeah, three, three seasons. But there's also yeah. a lot of Doctor Who. There is. So look look forward to this in the future. Is some kind of slash film content? We, we'll keep you posted. Okay, you mentioned how HD was reacting to the crowd in that room. I'm wondering, you know, HD, this is your first Comic Con, and you, this is your first Marvel panel. Like, you, uh, you're now a member of the club. I so, am. so, congrats. Um, but I w- want to know uh, what was your reaction to what you experienced today in Hall H? I feel alive. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I'm all a buzz. You know, at first I was a little bit irked because these people were screaming in my ear. But um, I have to say, I got caught up in it too. That it's kind of a cult-like <laughs> feeling in a way. You're like, God, these people are just worshiping Kevin Feige and everyone at the at the con. But honestly, the way that Marvel uh, presents itself and just um, throws all these things at you. I got caught up despite being a little bit jaded over superhero stuff um, as of late, too, and I, I'm i so excited. Yes, I am. I feel like the adrenaline rush is still flowing through my veins right now. <laughs> I know Jacob compares it to, like, a concert experience. It's like... It is. Yeah, it reaches deafening volumes. Uh, you know, the last time I heard that crowd reaction to anything was two years ago when they first debuted Infinity War footage uh, at Comic-Con. It just... People stamping their feet and applauding. I mean, I mean, I know people are always on online talking about superhero fatigue and talking about how they're tired of Marvel or whatnot. But 
what cannot be denied is that this is not just some loud nerds, you know, this is uh, who like like one thing. This is a massacre of people who deeply, deeply love these movies in their bones. And you really feel that at Comic-Con. Like, after, afterward, I was, like, texting my mom details because she wants to know what's up with, with the MCU. Like, people love these movies, and Marvel knows it, and they... And they have the showmanship to really play into that. Yeah, even being anxious and over and stressed about covering all the the um, the projects, <laughs> I still felt my my fandom, my inner fan coming out during several moments of this. Yeah. which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But, but even before that, even when it was starting to like, to the crowd was chanting, yeah. and you like looked over at me, and you're like, I, like I forget what you said, but you like you had this feeling in the pit of your stomach. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's crazy. It's hard to explain if you've never been here but um okay let's talk about what we saw in hall h today uh they let's start at the beginning okay they they started out with um this highlight reel kind of profiling all the films that we've seen up until now right and then uh uh, the marvel studios logo came up and then it, it, it replaced with the infinity saga logo which i guess is now a logo yeah infinity saga is no longer just a buzzword. It has a logo and everything. A logo, I guess we'll see slapped on a Blu-ray box set sometime <laughs> soon. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, where is the future of this logo? Because they, they spent the time to art direct it. Oh, a, a box set or a digital collection of some kind, however you watch your movies. A yeah. special package on Disney+. Plus. A, oh, um, maybe. A, an Infinity Gauntlet uh, housing 17 Blu-rays or however <laughs> many they need to have the movies. Yeah. Um, okay, so Kevin Feige took the stage and he announced that the, uh, the Infinity Saga is complete and he brought out his executive team for the first time on stage. They've never been on stage and kind of gave let them take a bow. That was really cool because he's all the people who like behind the scenes are shuffling papers and making these movies happen. And you can tell they were really overwhelmed to be up in Hall H. And it was it was one woman, I can see tears in her eyes. I, I was genuinely moved to see all these people who never get sung like being brought out as he- the heroes they are. Yeah. It was sweet. They're so giddy. <laughs> yeah, and it, th- these are people that work like seven days a week, you know, all hours of the day. Uh, he announced that within a matter of days, Avengers Endgame will be the biggest film in movie history. And he, he conceded that that obviously Cameron still has the title adjusted for inflation and that Cameron will probably take the title again in a few years from now. Will he? Well, I would never bet against Cameron. True, 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 true. <laughs> um, then he was like, but enough talking about the past. And then the lights went out. And then this thing filled the screen. It was a timeline. It was a timeline of the next, what, like two and a half years? Yeah, of- through, through 2021. And it basically just had dates and Marvel Studios unannounced or untitled movie or just Marvel Studios untitled. Yeah. And just had this timeline of things. And it said phase four. Big cheers. Big cheers. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a surprise, too, because I think Feige even said there wasn't going to be a Phase 4. So, and them calling it Phase 4 is kind of Feige's a surprise. Feige's a master bullshit artist. <laughs> the best bullshit artist in the business. It took us all by surprise, too, because we weren't expecting a slate at all. We were expecting maybe some footage, maybe some uh, cast reveals, yeah. but not a whole slate. I, I Yeah, we, let's talk about that for a second. I expected him to bring, like, Downey and Scarlet and... Like, those people on stage and have kind of, like, a farewell... I, I thought this was going to be a half a fan thing and then some announcements and stuff. Nope. He was, like, right from the beginning, he was like, this is going to be all about the future. Yeah. Here's here's phase four. Here's the next three years. The past is over. 
Iron Man's dead. We're moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So first up was the Eternals. The Eternals is the the first film or the second film on that list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what did we learn about the Eternals? So what we learned was that we knew about half the cast of the Eternals, which is a few surprise names that came out there. The full ensemble, all who came on stage, includes uh, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Camille Nanjiani, Lauren Ridloff, Brian Tyree Henry, Sama Hayek, Leah McHugh, and Don Lee. And of course, we don't know Eternals. They're sort of an uh, odd group of characters. They're very cosmic. Uh, Kevin Feige specifically mentioned uh, artist Jack Kirby uh, when he was introducing them. The basic gist is that they're uh, eternal godlike aliens who have spent 35,000 years on Earth, so they've been part, a part of the MCU, but we haven't seen them. And they're here to protect uh, the uh, Earth and the humans on behalf of the Celestials against a force known as the Deviants. And this is the director Chloe Zhao, uh, from, who made The Rider. She came on stage as well. And the casting breakdown is uh, Richard Madden is playing uh, Icarus, Angie and Jolie is Thena. Don Lee is playing Gilgamesh, who he, uh, he's, first of all, Don Lee is the um, Korean actor who is awesome and trained Busan, and he joked that he could beat up the Hulk. Uh, Leah McHugh is playing Sprite, who is the oldest character in the Marvel Universe, even though she's played by a child. Camille Nanjiani will be Kingo. Brian Tyree Henry will be Fasto. And Lauren Ridloff will be playing Makari. And interestingly, uh, Ridloff is a deaf actress playing a deaf character. And it was very interesting because uh, Zhao talked about wanting to have the most diverse group of superheroes possible. And up here we have, you know, a Pakistani-American actor, a white British guy, Angelina Jolie, a black actor and by Brian Tyree Henry, a deaf actress, uh, just this, oh, Sama Hayek, of course, you know, uh, uh, just this incredible lineup of immortal beings played by the most diverse, incredible cast I think we've seen in a Marvel movie in some time. Uh, what did you think, H.D.? I love this cast. Also, I think it should be noted that both Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie are actresses over 40. And that's something oh, that's... Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's something that's uh, very rare to see act- big roles for actresses over 40, especially in franchise films like this. And it's really encouraging to see them... Like, Salma Hayek is the leader of this group. And, um, yeah, this cast is amazing. I'm really excited for Don Lee because, yes, he was insanely good in Train to Busan. Um, I think it's funny that he is... Uh, taking on a more Americanized version of his name. He's a Ma Dong Sok. I think it's his Korean state uh, name. But um, yes, this cast is incredible. And of course, the director, Chloe Zhao, um, is uh, of Asian descent as well. She um, directed The Writer, which I have not yet seen, but which people who have rave about. So this is just something I'm so excited about. Marlon Johnny um, also looked very buff yeah. <laughs> in his appearance, which was a, bit, it was a little strange for me, but um, I'm excited to see like a Desi actor um, take on a superhero role. Yeah, and Richard Madden is uh, the sole, Guinness, the sole white male of this yeah. cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even he's from Game of Thrones and Bodyguard, and he's a hell of a good actor. I'm very excited to see him, too. So this is just, oh, Brian, Brian Tyree Henry's in a Marvel movie. Brian Tyree yeah, Henry. Crazy. That one I didn't expect, and I was so happy to see him. Didn't um the main guy there say that he was cast just like a few days ago? Oh, that we'll get, that was another one. We'll get we'll get. To oh, that, that was another. Enough. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm sorry. So much happened <laughs> that I am confusing uh, things. Uh, you know, I want I did want to mention that when they did put up this timeline, it was like what like ten things from now until November. 2021. That's correct. And I, I, I even made this tweet. I was like, wait a second. There's seven movies that are going to come out in 2021? What is going on here? Because Marvel, the most they've ever had in a year is what? Like three? 
something like that. Uh, we soon learned that those not all these are movies. Some of these are actually TV shows. And that brings us to our, our next uh, topic of conversation. That is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This is the, the one that's coming out next on that timeline. and uh, Or r- rather, fall 2020. We don't actually have a, a proper release date for that. And uh, they... What, Anthony Mackie came out on stage with the shield. And he had a funny exchange with Sebastian Stan. They answered some questions, but obviously it was just all jokey. And then the lights went out because the whole panel was hijacked by Baron Zemo. What do we know about Baron Zemo? Oh, well, we knew him from Captain America Civil War, where he was just a helmet uh, Zemo, played by Daniel Bruhl from Inglorious Bastards. And he's a very low-key Marvel villain and a very low-key take on a um, rather over-the-top supervillain from the comics. And... In this little teaser video, he, you know, gleefully talks about having hijacked the panel. He's wearing a cool coat. He has a, he has a bit of a beard going on. He's clearly escaped from captivity from the last time in the Civil War. And after uh, threatening everyone and saying that he'll see uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier soon, he puts on his iconic comic book purple mask and everything goes black again. So they're promising that Helmut Zemo is about to become Baron Zemo properly, the proper version of him that comic book fans will recognize, which was pretty cool. And one thing to note is that the video of which of his hijacking begins with the code that supposed that at first activated Winter Soldier's um, oh yeah brainwashing. And he was something like, "Oh, I didn't expect that to work." Yeah, again. but he said, "Oh, that doesn't work anymore." So it will probably be tied again to his uh, history, but will likely be a little go beyond that. Yeah, since Zemo is a classic Captain America villain, I think it's a good choice to have him go up against new Captain America in, in Falcon. It's interesting, the Captain America's shield is now part of that logo, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it's not Captain America and the Winter, Winter Soldier, it's still the Falcon and Winter Soldier, which leads me to believe this season is going to be about him resisting the call and yeah. being pulled in. Yeah, or, or at least him learning how to be Captain America, the transition at the yeah. very least, yeah. Um, okay, so next up, Shang-Chi. Uh, this is February 12th, 2021. Uh, what do we know about this one? So, Kevin Feige announced that the title for the Chang-Chi solo movie will be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, hearkening back to the terrorist group that first kidnapped Iron Man, or rather Tony Stark, in Iron Man at the very beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And they showed footage from Iron Man that had the Ten Rings on various like various Easter eggs, tattoos, and um, that would that this movie would introduce the real Mandarin, uh, the fake one being played by Ben Kingsley in Iron Man yeah. 3. A lot of fans were really upset by Iron Man 3 and how they portrayed the Mandarin. Uh, but the Mandarin is a hard character to do because... It's so of... tied in Orientalist stereotypes. So I was wondering how they would be able to pull it off this time. But they got a pretty good actor to play him. <laughs> a pretty good actor? Pretty good. Pretty good? <laughs> Who's just, the pretty good actor? Just the guy named Tony Leung, best known for In the Mood for Love. Um, and that is an amazing piece of casting that was also um, added by the casting of Aquafina, who is in an undisclosed role. But she's having a stellar year. So Tony Leung will be playing... The real Mandarin, Aquafina, will be playing an undisclosed character. Who's Shang-Chi? Who's Shang-Chi? <laughs> <laughs> you guys seem like you're on stage here at OH. <laughs> we didn't know until director De- De- Destin Daniel Cretton arrived on stage. 
and now instead the actor playing the titular superhero is Simu, Simu Liu. Who is Simu Liu? He is a Chinese. I'll join this. <laughs> we're doing a little bit too. We've, we're um, still on the, the same Marvel vibe. So he's a Chinese Canadian actor best known for his role in the hit sitcom Kim's Convenience. It's a Canadian sitcom which actually has quite a big following amongst the Asian diaspora community. I know a lot of um, my friends and relatives who love Kim's Convenience, especially after it hit Netflix. And he is um, a comedy actor, which is kind of uh, goes along the lines of Marvel picking up comedians and uh, sitcom actors to play their heroes. He's so charming. When he hit, when he um, arrived on stage, he um, made a little speech in Chinese and then noted that he had only been cast uh, Tuesday <laughs> and uh, basically flew in that day. So it's uh, all it was all very new to him, and he was just as giddy and excited as everyone else was to see him um, be uh, announced. Yeah, so Shang-Chi is called the Legend of the Ten Rings, as you mentioned. Um, did we learn anything else about the, the movie? Um, that it will... Uh, nope, that it will just... <laughs> <laughs> that it, that is it. it. That's it. Just that it will reintroduce... That will introduce the real Mandarin. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm a big Iron Man 3 fan. Uh, and I was, never, I was never somebody who's mad about the Mandarin, you know, being a fake character in that. But I feel like if you are going to pull back from that and have him be a real villain in the Marvel Universe, this is the right way to do it. With an with Asian director and an Asian cast and one of the biggest Asian movie stars in the world. If you're American, you may not know Tony Lung, but he is huge overseas. Like, I'm... Tom Cruise level, I'd say, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. He's yeah. one of the biggest Chinese stars. Okay, let's move on to the next announcement. And by the way, it should be said that they only have one thing actually in production, and that's Black Widow. So they're like just announcing all this stuff. And even though they don't have any footage to show us, I, all the studios come here every year like being like, oh, we got to show them and impress them with footage. This panel basically had just one bit of footage and was the most impressive thing ever. Because Marvel just knows how to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it goes to show a lot of things. Uh, but, okay, let's move on to spring 2021. That is WandaVision. This is another Disney Plus series starring Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. But also, uh, I mean, we, we've already heard a little bit about this. This is based on that, that Vision comic book series, right? Well, that was speculation in my part. We're not entirely sure what it's based on yet. Well, but, the aesthetics definitely yeah. Yeah. seem like that. During the logo, when it appeared, there was a, a small silhouette of um, that looked very 50s style of 50s Wanda. TV. Yeah, yeah, 50s TV uh, that, of Wanda and supposedly Vision. So that plays into your rumor, or your theory, yeah. rather. The, the big interesting thing here is that even though they would not say what the show is about, and would not confirm how Vision is back, or if he's back, despite the title, people kept on saying strange, weird, deep, surprising, weird again. But fun. Yeah, so clearly they're going for something here. What that something is, we're not sure. Uh, but the other exciting news is that, um, remember Monica Rambeau from Captain Marvel, the young girl in 1995? Well, she's grown up, and she's now... Played by Tiona Paris, who's going to be a, another lead character in WandaVision. So, once again, Marvel tying everything yeah. together by having um, someone 20, I guess she will be like in her late 20s, early 30s now, um, you know, best best friends with Captain Marvel now, um, <laughs> hanging out with Wanda and Vision for some reason. Interesting. I, I do want to mention that um, Olsen did say that we're going to finally find out why she's called Scarlet Witch. That which I thought was an interesting quote, and also um, 
Feige did mention uh, when they were kind of evading how Vision is in this and alive, he did mention that this does take place after Endgame. Yes. So we do know that. Uh, do you have any theories? Um, my guess, if I had to, this is purely me speculating, is that since Scarlet Witch's powers in the comics are a bit more extreme than moving crap with her mind, which is what they are in the, in the um, movies, she, she can literally alter reality and alter probability. So my guess is that she's somehow brought Vision back to life in a way that's draining her or maybe has Vision not being a shadow of his former self. And that's going to be about the struggle of her trying to let go or hold on too much. That, that'll be, that's all pure speculation. But based on all these adjectives they're using and Scarlet Witch's powers, I would I'd put about five bucks on it. <laughs> okay, next up, spring 2021 coming to Disney Plus is going to be Loki. And this has already been a series that's been announced it's going to star Tom Hiddleston. Uh, he's back as the trickster god, and uh, they basically brought him on stage. Uh, and um, I, I kind of—they they didn't really tell us much about this, but they did say they were did say yes, he did die in Infinity War, but this happened in Endgame, and they showed us the scene where he escapes from the original—that scene from the original Avengers with the Cosmic Cube. The interesting thing here, I, I think we kind of pretty much assumed that was the starting point for this Loki TV series, that he blipped from this alternate past reality. Well, but, they were actually a little bit cagey about that, too, because they didn't confirm that this would be the Loki that escaped in the uh, 2012 Avengers timeline. They, basically, they just well, had I thought, said... I thought they said something like... Um, that that Loki from the Avengers was at the height of his like well, villainess, and basically the Loki would be basically seeing in this show would be that Loki. That, yeah. yeah, they that, confirmed it at this panel, but until yeah, yeah, then, yeah. until yeah, yeah, yeah. now, they they had been cagey, and they had only said, "Oh, this will be Loki throughout time." But now they confirmed that it would be this Loki who escaped during that um, Tesseract heist. So yeah. also universe Loki. So what does that mean, HT, if it's Loki from the Avengers? What does that mean for him as a character? It means that he has not gone through the psychological evolution that he has in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the one who is dead is the one who has redeemed himself and who has gone through that arc of finally uh, coming to the side of good. But this one is still the one who, um, as the last action that he had, was being smashed by the Hulk. So he's still one with a chip on his shoulder. He's still one who has a vendetta against the Avengers and is still very much a trickster god who was um, only his uh, selfish um, motivations at his heart. So this means a we got a... The all-powerful, all-evil Loki with the Tesseract gets to jump around, causing chaos, right? Yep. We got Loki at his best. Yes. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I, are you guys excited for this? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm for sure. Of, of, of all the um, Disney Plus series, this is the one that I'm most intrigued by. I'm super excited. Uh, next up on the docket, May 2nd, 2021, uh, they did this, like, for all these, they were played these, like, introductions that, like, it introduced us to the logo of what it was going to be. Those were really cool. Yeah, it was cool. And this one at first started with the word multiverse up there. And we were all like, what? <laughs> we were all... Uh, and it introduced Doctor Strange into the mix. Doctor Strange into the multiverse of madness. Well, Doctor Strange in the multiverse of or madness. In, yeah, in the multiverse of madness. If they did into the multiverse, it might have been a bit too uh, on the nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what is this? 
Oh, goodness. Uh, this is the one that has me the most punk, Peter. They uh, brought out director Scott Derrickson, from the, who did the first Doctor Strange, and talked about how he wanted to do something different. He didn't want to do it, the same sequel over again. Uh, he wanted to bring in the psychedelic weirdness and the gothic horror of like core Doctor Strange comics. And he announced that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness will be the first horror MC movie. It will be a scary film. And Although Kevin Feige jumped in and said... Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going to be PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> PG-13. And they emphasize it'll still have the humor of an MCU movie. Uh, but if you go back and read, like, the, the like most Doctor Strange stories are horror stories. And most of his villains are, like, demons or monsters or creatures. They're, you know, it, uh, even Dormammu from the first movie is a hint of, you know, the kind of things he, he faces. He doesn't face human threats. He faces things that are from beyond our reality. And, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, took the stage and said that, also said that this would take a crazy line in the horror and said that um, Strange's usual authority, like the fact that he appears as a figure of authority in the Avengers films, somebody who knows things, will be tested, and that evil forces will try to destroy him and wear him down. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. Scott Derrickson directs, directs some really good horror movies like The Exorcism, Emily Rose, and Sinister, and I love Doctor Strange, the movie, so him being able to bring his hard touch to this has me so excited. And I'm going to go out there, based on what we've heard here, I'm going to guess the villain here, maybe Nightmare, who is a classic Doctor Strange villain, who his name implies is just like he's from the nightmare realm. He brings them all kinds of creepy, crawly, cosmic horror. And there was actually recently a very good um, Doctor Strange storyline, maybe from a year or two ago, where um, Doctor Strange is at an all-time low power-wise, and Nightmare starts chasing him through dimensions, like a, in a storyline where he just non-stop trying to kill him, realizing this is my chance to finish after Doctor Strange, and it's just a one long horror chase for like five issues and. I don't know what the inspiration here, but Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is just a <laughs> Lovecraftian title on top of my favorite Marvel character. And Peter, I am like glowing right now. I'm so excited about I this. I love how unapologetically pulpy that title is. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a pulp, like a 50 cent pulp Yeah, it's Attack novel. of the Clones of yeah. the MCU. Oh, but it's so much better than that. If oh, I, yeah. I thought Clones was, was cheesy sci-fi, this is 1930s weird fiction, man. This is, this is, oh man. <laughs> the... <sighs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm very excited to see what Marvel can do as a hor- in, in the horror genre. And uh, it's actually interesting that this is also going to bring back another Marvel character. It's going to bring back Scarlet Witch. Yeah, Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen, will be a character in this movie. with a witch and a sorcerer. And they say that WandaVision will lead directly into this. So it makes me wonder if the thing Scarlet Witch learns in WandaVision is that her powers are tied to magic, which is why she seeks out Doctor Strange. Ooh. What if she gets um, presented as the villain? Huh, that's an interesting take. I... Because WandaVision, from what their description is, maybe it actually leads her down a darker path, and she ends up taking a villainous, villain, villainous turn that leads into Doctor Strange. As somebody who has um, Mondo portraits of Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch on my wall, I want nothing more than a team-up. So I'm, I'm mm. going to hope and dream for a team-up, but I'm not going to rule out your theory here. Mm. I will say this. I, I think we've been, like, teased and back and forth. Like, you know, with Endgame, there was the introduction of the possibility of multiverses. And we were teased with that with Far From Home, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio basically saying he was from a different uh, universe. I know we heard the word multiverse before in Doctor Strange, the first film. Uh, but leaving Far From Home, we kind of figured that the multiverse was not where they were headed with that, a phase four. We, we thought, oh, if they're going to do that, it's going to be much further out. It's kind of interesting that, no, 
they're headed toward the multiverse. Yeah, and Kevin Feige even said on stage, you know, um, Quentin Beck may have been faking it, but it's real, and Doctor Strange now has to deal with it. So I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's good. Um, and then next up, summer 2021, they said uh, something Marvel has never had the opportunity to do before. And basically they introduced this intro for What If. And this is actually something we broke on the site, uh, I forget, months and months ago. They're doing an animated What If TV series. But this, the cool thing about this is it takes place inside the MCU. So they're using what they did with the comics, the What If comics that presents these uh, stories that are out of continuity of like alternate versions, multiverses, right? Like alternate multiverses kind of. Um, but the cool thing is they basically announced that almost all the characters, all the, the actors from the MCU are reprising the roles in, in this What If series. Yeah, looking over the, the actors they revealed, you see everybody from Michael B. Jordan and Natalie Portman, uh, spoiler alert for a little bit ahead, <laughs> but um, just so many of these, oh, there's Stanley Tucci and Taika Waititi, just... Toby Jones. Yeah, so we're going to see animated versions of all these characters in alternate scenarios. It's always a fun with what if was, you know, what if um, so-and-so did this, or what if so-and-so died, you know? So we're going to see, like, I see Michael B. Jordan here, I wonder if it's going to be, what if Eric Killmonger became Black Panther, you know? Mm. Uh, we'll see stuff like that, probably. I will say the notable name missing from this list is Robert Downey Jr. He's too expensive, man. Everyone else here to get cheap. Yeah, well, I mean, they got Mark, Mark Ruffalo. They got, like, the big guys here. Well, Mark, Ruff- Mark Ruffalo is... Chris Hemsworth. Mark Ruffalo will, will work for a hamburger, whereas Mark Ruffalo will work for caviar, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, and they also did... A, they had this, like, teaser trailer that showed us that uh, kind of teased kind of the, some of the stories. I think we saw Peggy Carter as Captain America in the teaser trailer and a bunch of other stuff. It was hard to keep track of what... Because yeah. it was all in, like, these little windows... But there was someone narrating the Caesar trailer as the Watcher, and he came out on stage. Who is that? It was Jeffrey Wright. Now we know why the Westworld panel was the same day as Marvel. So God, only pay for one flight for Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why it was. What do you think of Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher? Uh, the Watcher is the character in Marvel history who, it's what he does. He watches. He watches all important events and records them. And he shows up whenever there's a giant battle. He shows up whenever something vital is happening. And he, he's the historian for the entire universe. And uh, so he needs to be someone commanding, and Jeffrey Wright has that deep, smart voice. And uh, I'm very, very excited to hear him speak with authority about Marvel characters because all the silliness of what if with the gravitas of Jeffrey Wright should be very fun. He treats it kind of like a Twilight Zone role, too, yeah. because he said this is modern myth making. So it sounds kind of Twilight Zone y, especially in his narration. But did, did the Watcher get involved in these stories in the comics? Uh, no, the, the Watcher's whole point is he does not get involved. He watches. But I thought he said on stage that the Watcher, his Watcher, was going to sometimes maybe... That's always kind of the fun thing is um, if the Watcher sees things are going for worse, you know, maybe he'll nudge things, you know, so you uh, never, that, never quite know. Mm. So. Uh, okay, what happened next? Uh, almost broke my arm. <laughs> uh, they, 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 Please don't fire me, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> they they showed a, t- a, a teaser trailer. Like basically, it was if you've seen if you've read Matt Faction's Hawkeye, it was basically an animated version of that uh, for like revealing the logo, which is Hawkeye. This is the TV series. They this was rumored. It's now announced. It showed uh, Kate Bishop and H uh, two was so excited. She was banging her fists and jumping up in the air and, like, hitting me in the arm so hard. I'm very sorry. (laughs) It's funny. But, yes, as soon as that logo appeared, 
Um, it didn't even have the word Hawkeye. I just recognized the text right away. It's such an iconic uh, yeah. typography. And I started saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then Hawkeye showed up, and the, and then they showed a silhouette of Kate Bishop, who in the Matt Fraction, David Aya, e- Aya? Um, comics is um, the younger Hawkeye. She also uh, is introduced first in um, the Young Avengers. She uh, takes she actually takes up the arrow um, independently from Hawkeye. So and he kind of takes her under uh, his wing, and they have a sort of fractious uh, relationship that is um, uh, both mentor mentee friend and. Um, and sometimes rival. It's uh, such a fascinating dynamic, and I'm so excited to see her. She is a compelling, great um, female character, and just character in general. I absolutely love her. And basically, if what I'm reading from this logo is correct, they're doing some version of the Matt Fraction yeah. comics. Which, oh, for sure. Yeah, which is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, uh, comics. Um, I it's a great depiction of uh, Hawkeye as almost this kind of deadbeat um, guy who can't help but try to save people even on his downtime yeah. from working as the event at, at the Avengers, um, and this kind of led us to speculate when this. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that place. because, like in the comics, he's a deadbeat guy, mm-hmm. but you know, if he's training this girl, what? Like, would he do that with his family around? Now that he's family, isn't he going to go back off in the woods and keep them safe? So when does this take place? Well, they did hint um, after Jeremy Renner took the stage. And they didn't talk much about the series itself, but they did hint that um, this series would uh, touch on his time as Ronan. Whether to explain it or to actually depict it, we don't know. But that made me think that this series will take place during the blip, that five-year gap in Avengers Endgame, when he, after he's lost his family and he's kind of at a loss, and uh, he becomes Ronan, but maybe we'll see his um, his journey into becoming that that vengeful character that is Ronan, and see him, you know, at at his worst, at his lowest point, um, take this uh, other uh, person, this other. Um, Archer under his wing and try to redeem himself but end up going down a dark path again. Okay. We need to move on to uh, the next last film that they talked about and this is Thor 4 which is going to be titled Thor Love and Thunder. Yes! Yes! <laughs> and, and if uh, R- R- Ragnarok like the logo for Ragnarok looks very 80s to me, right? Yeah. Like 80s inspired. This looks very 70s. Yeah, it has a very like um Early heavy metal, metal, like yeah. Led Zeppelin style, um, a font going on. It's- it looks like a He-Man font. I was wondering when they announced Love and Thunder, what were you guys thinking this Thor movie could be about? Love and Thunder, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> According to Taiko Artidi and Chris Hemsworth, love dot 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 and thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, HG wrote transcription of their entire opening exchange, which you can read on the site. And uh, when Taika Waititi, Chris Hemsworth, and Tessa Thompson take the stage and start riffing, there's few things as enjoyable. Yeah, they're hilarious. But the big surprise here is Natalie Portman is going to be returning to play the female version of Thor. Yes. Uh, over the past few years, uh, writer Jason Aaron wrote this very long, amazing Thor epic where Thor becomes unworthy and Jane Foster picks up the hammer and becomes a, a masked female version of Thor and end up fighting alongside each other. And it's an incredible storyline and they're using it as inspiration. dissatisfied with her experience in the first two Thor films. 
So much so we saw her in Endgame, and I don't think that was new footage, right? No, it, it was definitely stock footage. Yeah. And the amazing thing here is that it's like if I mean even Chris Hemsworth seemed lukewarm on Thor until Ragnarok seemed to have rejuvenated him. I feel like if anybody can talk Natalie Portman back, it'll be a pile of money and Taika Waititi and and just Thor Ragnarok, one of the most joyous, fun, thrilling movies of the past few years. That movie's a I think someone, I think it was Matt Pashes um, from Polygon, described it as uh, an antidepressant in movie form. And yes. so the idea of, of all these people coming back and bringing Natalie Portman back as a female Thor is so exciting. And and Tessa Thompson, um, uh, you know, she's back as Valkyrie, and she said that um, as the new king of Asgard, she needs to find her queen, which was a very nice uh, semi-confirmation that they're going to return the character's sexuality, which she was um, written as bisexual in... In Thor Ragnarok, they shot scenes and confirmed this, but they were cut out, unfortunately. And Tessa Stang's on stage from Hall H confirms that Valkyrie seems to be our first LGBTQ character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe beyond a self-serving director cameo in Avengers Endgame. So I'm very, very excited that Natalie Portman with that with Taika with these cast members in a movie called Thor Love and Thunder HD. How hyped are we? We are so hyped. I'm just... <laughs> I'm excited. Over the moon. I'm over the Asgardian moon. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so finally we ended... Or they ended the panel where it be, the timeline begins. Because it went, ended with Black Widow, which is coming out May 1st, 2020. And Black Widow is the movie starring Scarlett Johansson. Uh, what did we learn from this segment of the the presentation HD. So first, director Kate Shortland and cast members Scarlett Johansson, David Harbour, Florence Pugh, O.T. Fagbenel, and Rachel Weiss appeared on stage to talk about the film, uh, which is still in production in London. They flew over this morning, apparently. Um, and uh, they talked about how this is about a fully realized Natasha, not the Natasha from 10 years ago who we met first in Iron Man 2. And we finally realize what that means when they introduce the first footage from from Black Widow. So um, I'll give a brief description of the footage, the full description of which you can read on SlashFilm.com. But uh, it it starts at first uh, with um, the glimpses of Natasha's past in Avengers Age of Ultron, in which we see her start in the Assassin Academy. with the ballerinas and everything like that. And then it leads into her arc in Captain America Civil War, specifically her turn when she betrays her side with uh, with Iron Man, Tony Stark, and uh, lets Captain America escape instead of capturing him. And uh, in this footage, we see Tony Stark warning her, they're coming for you, and she flees, which sets the stage for Black Widow, which will seemingly take place after the events of Captain America Civil War. So this won't be a prequel series, a prequel film like we all had assumed about just like her um, becoming yeah. Black Widow and her. Well, it still is a prequel. It's a prequel in a sense, but like it's more like an in betweenquel. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm quoting it. <laughs> so that intro leads into the first footage from Black Widow. And it starts off in Budapest, that famous city that she has mentioned before, in which she cautiously makes her way up an old turn of the century. By the way, when it was revealed, it showed the city skyline and all, like, it hung on that. And then all of a sudden, in big letters, in Budapest, I was like, oh, is it going to go back to that time? Mm -mm. But no. No, because we see um, 
Natasha before she has dyed her hair, of course, uh, making her way into this apartment building. Um, and she enters this old apartment and calls for Yelena, um, who is played by Florence Pugh. And they have an intense standoff and fights. And the fight is amazingly uh, gritty and grimy and well done, shot in low light and something that resembles a lot the tactile feel of a Jason Bourne film. And uh, their fight scene is um, really intriguing to watch because it's obviously trained in the same styles. They are mirroring each other and paralleling each other in a way that they keep coming at impasses until yeah. they're forced to fight dirty using knives, plates, curtains. And um, at the end, they're just basically st- uh, stuck in a stranglehold with each other. Um, unable to move Um, but apparently they um, put down their swords and take up a drink and they say it's good to see you Um, after that we see uh, several shots of car chases Natasha weaving in and out of Eastern European streets and then a um, shot of um, a fight between Natasha um, on a bridge where a flaming car is, or car is on fire, kind of recalling almost imagery of a, the girl with the dragon tattoo series. It kind of gave me those vibes. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. And um, a hooded figure comes to attack her. The a costume uh, that of like a sleek sort of dark hood with red piping. Uh, resembling that of Taskmaster, a Marvel villain that has been linked to this film before. Um, but uh, despite there being kind of assumption that David Harbour would be playing this villain, uh, he has been confirmed to not be playing uh, Taskmaster. He's playing, yeah. he's playing another character. Um, but uh, this... Well, one of our friends, of John our friends. Armstrong, who, a friend of the show, uh, proposed something. Yes. He said that the figure uh, underneath his hooded costume resembled more of a woman uh, which perhaps suggests that this is Rachel Weiss's character uh, we know that Rachel Weiss is playing a character named Malena um, and she only described her as a quote unquote strong chick so we don't know who, the, who, who that is but perhaps it will be a female taskmaster and well, a female villain for this movie this footage looked good it looked uh, like the, the big section of this footage because they've only been shooting for what a month or two or it's a 30 days in the panel yeah um is that fight and that fight looked like it was really hard hitting in style it felt most like winter soldier out of anything we've seen in the mcu thus far and, and it feels born meets john wick like it feels like that hard hitting i think it's more cleanly shot than winter soldier winter soldier is definitely a very chaotic shaky camera which worked for that film but this was a very patient camera that was like using close-ups and wide shots yeah. and rack focus in ways that we don't see in a lot of Marvel action scenes. It was definitely a fight between two non, non-powered non humans, but shot in a way so that you understood the force of each blow. I was really impressed by the action direction here. Yeah, it felt very bruised and brutal. Yeah. And I did compare it to the Jason Bourne movies, although, yeah, it doesn't have quite the shaky cam of those movies. It does kind of resemble the um, action choreography that we do see in John, the John Wick series, like you said, Peter. Yeah, so... That left us with. Uh, but by the way, what, what, what did you think of this? Like, I thought it was great. It I was, was great. so impressed. Yeah, yeah. I am. I will admit that I have um, lost a sort of um, uh, anticipation for the Black <laughs> Widow movie. I feel like I felt like it was kind of past the point uh, that this movie should have come out. Yeah, but, it should have come out five years ago. Yeah, it should have come out five years ago. But I am intrigued, and um, it looks I different. It does look really different. Um, it looks very. Like, I don't want to say low budget, but just uh, more intimate and um, a very modestly scaled. Modest scale. Yeah. It looks like it looks like it's going to be very much a spy espionage yeah. story. She's not saving the world here. Mm-hmm. 
like I know Marvel gets criticism all the time of having that Marvel style and everything looks the same. This did not look I don't want to say it looked like bold or different, but it didn't it wasn't people in super suit. Do you know what I mean like yeah. it looked like more of like a Bond film or like a spy film than Yeah, John Wick Atomic Blonde, anything from that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. slice of action filmmaking. Um, okay, so after that, the the full screen was filled with that timeline, and Kevin Feige came out, and he was like, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about uh, the next Guardians film, the next Black Panther. What else did he list? He listed, he, he, listed um, uh, he said Captain Marvel 2, Black Panther 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and then he offhandly threw out um, like, Fantastic you... Four and Mutants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, holy crap. And he didn't specify whether this would be New Mutants or just yeah. X-Men movies yeah. in general. Or Deadpool, even. Or yeah. Deadpool, yes. Yeah. But then uh, he said, but we do have one more thing. What happened? Well, first, everybody got Black Widow hats, which is a really great uh, little setup for what happened next. Uh, I'm wearing H- mine now. <laughs> She's wearing her cool Black Widow hat right now. Everybody got it up. All the people on stage were there that day. Everyone wearing a Black Widow hat for a big picture. And they brought out a special guest, uh, two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali of Moonlight uh, fame, amongst other things, recently seen in uh, Lead of Battle Angel and uh, Green Book. And, but he had a hat of his own, a hat that said Blade, as in Blade the Vampire Hunter, the classic Marvel character, previously made uh, in his own film in, uh, with Wesley Snipes in the late 90s, a trilogy of them. Beloved, you know, early superhero Marvel adaptations... But guys, Blade comes to the MCU, played by Mahershala freaking Ali. How cool is that? How, look, I'm how a, unexpected is how that? How unexpected is that? I mean, for, for those of you who've never seen Blade, the, the film or any Blade comics, Blade is a uh, vampire in that his mother was bitten while while uh, she was pregnant. So he's born with the powers of a vampire, but none of the weaknesses. He can he can walk in the sunlight, for instance. He still, he still craves blood. But he wants to use his powers for good and to hunt vampires. So he's a vampire who hunts vampires, and he's super cool. And uh, he's essentially, um, in many ways, he's a he's a Shaft. If Shaft was uh, a vampire, and that's, 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 that's his origin in the '70s, I'm sure will be updated here. And I love the idea that, that there are vampires hanging around the MCU. And Peter, uh, is it wrong that my first thought was? Oh my God! Now Doctor Strange can help Blade fight vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's not wrong. Yeah. I also love the fact that um, Mahershala Ali has is no stranger to the MCU, or rather, to Marvel um, <laughs> properties. Not part of the MCU, apparently, because he played Cottonmouth, the villain in Luke Cage, the Netflix Marvel series, which Kevin Feige kind of took a big shit on in with this announcement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's always been like um, those things are always so loosely connected and since Mark Ken Feige did not have anything to do with the Netflix shows uh, unlike the Disney Plus shows which he's personally overseeing I feel like casting Marshall Lee in a substantial badass Marvel role and forgetting the fact that he was wasted in Luke Cage season one as a, as a villain who's killed off halfway through the season mm-hmm. it feels like a deliberate yeah, that crap is not canon anymore. <laughs> so... This Marvel panel was just unrelenting. We learned so many things. We we only saw a little bit of footage, but we basically have the next two years of Phase Four planned out. But is that Phase Four? Like, I feel like the phases in the Marvel Cinematic Universe usually end with a bang, a big crossover event. You know, end Phase One ended with what Avengers? Yeah. Phase Two ended. Uh. 
I think technically it was like with Ant Man, Ant Man, but yeah, it was Ultron. And Phase Three ended technically with Spider Man, but it was actually uh, Endgame. So I'm going to steal somebody else's observation. I saw this retweeted in my Twitter feed. Yeah, um, I apologize for remembering who it is. What are the chances that um, Phase Five begins with Avengers Doom and it's the Avengers facing Doctor Doom with introduction to Fantastic Four? What are the chances? Begins with it? Yeah. Just throwing mm-hmm. it out there. I, 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 can, I can totally see that being the curveball they throw, which is Fantastic Four and Avengers in one movie called Avengers Doom. If, if, if you're the person who tweeted that, please DM me. I will, <laughs> we, we will add you to the show notes. I think it's a brilliant observation or a brilliant guess. I mean, that's a good guess, but I don't think that's the end. You're saying that's the beginning of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shake it all up, man. So... So my question is, we're not seeing all of Phase 4 here, right? I think Definitely. we are. We are. You think so? I so think it's, so. it's going to end Two with Thor, worth? Love and Thunder? Yeah. And Hawkeye, uh, Thor, wait. Doctor Strange and Thor, Love, that doesn't sound like the end of a phase. It right? does. Yeah, it's, it's the end of phase. The phase 5 will kick off after, in 2022. Usually a phase is three years, at least. It's yeah, close enough. I, don't, I think that there's more to this phase than just the two yeah. years that we saw. And besides, the, he also talked about all the other projects that have yet to be announced, too. Um, uh, I don't. Yeah, I wonder if it'll just be. If this might just be the first half of it. I think that's what it is. I I don't know. It is weird that it says Phase Four in the middle of this timeline, but also we have D twenty three Expo coming next month. Do they have anything left to announce there? No. <laughs> Are they just gonna basically go through the timeline and show the same Black uh, Black Widow footage? Yes. Hmm. Right, I do think that we'll see. I do think that at some point, maybe next Comic Con, we'll get a Black Panther two title and a release date for summer twenty twenty two. That's my guess. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I love this presentation. I was kind of bummed that James Gunn wasn't here. I was hoping he was going to return to Hall H because last year he was supposed to be here, and uh, you know that whole firing thing happened on I think Thursday or Friday of Comic Con, and he wasn't uh, at Comic Con. So I was hoping that he was going to have his, like, you know, homecoming of sorts. Um, maybe next year, honestly. Yeah, maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, uh, if the Warner Brothers will fly him in for Suicide Squad 2, and Marvel can save the ticket price and costs, <laughs> and they'll have him come we'll out split and, it. and yeah. announce Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah, no, I think that's probably possible. Okay, any any last thoughts? Today ruled. Between Charger <laughs> and Picard and the Marvel panel... This was, like, such an incredibly satisfying day of, like, teases. I mean, earlier, the rest of Comic-Con, like, I, we saw things you love, like Dark Crystal and Undone, shows that, like, things that I actually truly saw completed, and said, that's really good, but today was the really was the hype anticipation day, and it really delivered for me. Definitely. This was my first Comic-Con, and I'm so happy I got to experience it like this, and I understand why people keep coming back. It's a high, man. <laughs> it's a high. Yeah, no, it's... This is why I come to Comic-Con. Every year I say, like, I'm not going to come back next year. It's losing its luster. But if Marvel's going to be here, I can't see myself not coming is the problem. Marvel, Vanessa Armstrong, a writer who's also on location for us, is writing an article right now. It should be on the site maybe tomorrow or Monday about what Marvel does right compared to everyone else. I'm looking forward to, you know, editing that article and you guys getting a chance to read it. Yeah. But they understand this audience and understand what people want to see and what they're excited about more than anyone else. Warner Brothers has lots of tricks, lots of gimmicks. They always bring in, you know, 
special effects and stages and bigger screens. But Marvel, with ten logos, brought a crowd of 6,000 people to their feet. Amazing. Yeah. Anyways, we've gone almost an hour doing this podcast. Uh, so this ends our Comic-Con coverage, right? Like, we're not doing any more. This is the end. We'll have more talk about our water cooler for sure, because I'm taking tomorrow off to actually enjoy the con, do some shopping. But beyond that, we can close this book. Okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. If you want to find any more of all of our work, you can go to SlashFilm.com. I'll link all the stories we talked about today in the show notes. You can find this podcast posted every day on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.